Hi, I'm your host, Rowan Tonkin, and welcome to Being Planful, the show for FP&A leaders and planning experts. What's the value proposition in your uh, of your accounting finance FP&A team, right? So what is the value add that your accounting finance FP&A team is bringing to the organization? Right. So this is a conversation you can have with your senior leaders, your executives, your board of directors, everybody. And it's a simple question. Right. Like when you you ask the persons like what is the value accounting finance and FPNA brings to the organization? Right. Ask that to your executives. And I think the first response that you'll get with the response that you want to get is for them to say, you know, there's not a business decision or uh, uh, initiative that I look at inside of my functional area that I don't consult with the finance group, right? Like I don't partner with them or there's nothing I don't think about in terms of opportunities or challenges or or difficulties we face in the business that I don't partner with the finance group. You get that response back from your executives or those stakeholders you're talking to, uh, that is valued advisors, valued integrators inside the business, right? The response you don't want to get from the business is that they say, hey, when I think of the value proposition of accounting and finance of team, you guys get us the numbers. That's scorekeeping, right? Which is, again, the whole purpose of like, to your question, is really establish the baselines of where you're at with your people, your value proposition, your processes, and your technology. So for me, I think those will be kind of some of the starting building blocks that as you begin going down the road of leveraging some of these tools, leveraging RPA, uh, back office transformation, I think those are the pillars you need to know first before you get into the technologies, before you get into the resource optimization, before you get into the efficiencies that you're looking to gain from maybe some process automation. Um, that would be the places I would start. So that'd be my recommendation for those people new into those roles that are looking to uh, start a back office transformation project. Those are the building blocks for sure. Chris, hopefully I'm back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had my fancy uh, studio deck here that uh, I didn't have one button turned on and uh, <laughs> it created a, created a bit of a problem. So um, yeah, good, thanks for, for taking over there. I, I think, you know, what I finished and when I finally got, uh, got hearing you was talking about kind of how to approach and look at that. One of the things that, you know, I know you've talked about and you probably just said then uh, as I clued back in was, um, you know, think technology first, but go and find a the, the problems to solve, the prioritization of those problems, and then figure out if you've got the people that can help solve them with technology. Is that pretty much where you went? Yeah. I mean, what I was talking about, uh, Rowan, the key pillars was a obviously doing a, a baseline assessment when you're looking at back office transformation around your people, process, platforms and uh, value proposition. So really, like those are the four key areas that I talked about. And that's well in advance. And it's not in a linear like you, you start with one. I would always start with the people, then look at your processes, then look at your platforms and technology. And then also, what is the overall value proposition you want to bring to it? So those are the four pillars I was talking about. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, Chris, today we're joined um, by Glenn Snyder. Glenn's the uh, head of FP&A, uh, actually, at, uh, at one of uh, the plan a Planful customer, Gro Global Growth Holdings. Glenn, uh, firstly, welcome to the show. I'd, I'd love to um, get some of your experiences 
about back office transformation and your advice on where folks should start. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me here, Rowan. Uh, and and I think Chris, you you nailed it. Uh, you know, the biggest thing that I think you have to do before you get into your transformation is understand where you are and where you're trying to transform to, and make sure that everybody's aligned. Uh, you know, I. I've seen uh, back office transformations go very well, and I've seen them go horribly wrong. And usually when they go horribly wrong, it's because people are moving in different directions and they're on the same page. So that value proposition that Chris was just talking about is different from different for, for different people. And so if you have your FP&A or your accounting leadership, or even when you talk about back office, you're including legal, you're including HR, executives, if they are thinking they want to be doing something and going in one direction and your sales team and your operations team and your marketing group are thinking about something else, you're going to mess this up. It's important to get alignment first. Uh, I think once you have that roadmap for what the functionality is and how everybody works together, then you start coming in with how do we make that work? And that's where the technology really makes a difference. And, and I am a planful customer. Uh, I have been not only at my current company, but at my prior company, and it is a great system that is flexible enough to be able to help navigate those those different nuances between business unit and back office function. But the first thing to do is you got to make sure everybody's lined up and moving in the same direction. Max. Yeah, Glenn, that, that's super helpful. I, I think the, the key question that I would ask um, both of both of you is is where should you start, right? So let's say you're, um, and, and it's going di- to, the question's always going to be, well, Rowan, it depends. Um, <laughs> so, so let's give some guardrails to the conversation. I, I think there's two places that uh, I see that are more common, right? You, you've got a fast moving business that is using kind of a small to medium business type uh, accounting slash ERP tool, you know, thinking of uh, QuickBooks, thinking of p- tools like Xero, um, and they're just they're growing so fast that they need to um, you know start adopting things that can help them scale. The other place I would normally see and and hear a lot of commonality from from customers and audiences is um, you know they're on some legacy ERP that um, you know may still be even on premise, and they're looking to do that cloud transformation. So I'd love to hear both of your experiences about you know, those two types of conversations and those two uh, transformations that, that may exist. Chris, yeah, Glenn, go ahead. You can, oh. you can kick us off, Glenn. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, so really what uh, I think the first thing is you, you have to start with an evaluation around, you know, what are, what are the capabilities that you're looking to, to gain? Uh, is it around uh, you need greater insight? Uh, Do you need a better reporting tool? Do you need uh, a more robust analytical tool to go, you know, to build more comp models? Those types of things is the first thing you need to figure out what are you transforming from and to. Uh, Then from there, it's a question of how do you get there? How quickly can you get there? How most how cost effectively can you get there? Because remember, especially people who are in the finance organization, you can't go crazy spending. You got to, you know, you got to manage yourself within that budget because if, if finance isn't doing it, you know, no one else is going to follow. So right. I think that's really the, the, the starting point, but it really does. I mean, and, and 
Ron, it does depend. It depends on the type of company, the the size of the company, uh, the where the company is in its maturity. If you are working on Excel spreadsheets, the first thing you got to do is you got to transform to a system that has data in one place that is queryable that you can uh, leverage for multiple purposes and spread out to many different users. If you are already on that type of system, the next transformation for you, that next level you go to is greater insights, greater communication, impact on decision-making, those types of things. So it really, you know, companies go through maturity cycles, so do back office functions. And, And it's really important to do that evaluation that Chris and I both spoke with at the beginning to say, where are you? And then what is it that you're really looking for from that next level? If you're trying to solve four levels down or you know four steps ahead, you're probably gonna miss the next couple of steps and the good chance you're not gonna get to where you really wanna be. So it's really about self-awareness and asking your business partners, whether they are other people within finance or HR or IT, but also those marketing leaders, sales leaders, operational leaders about, where it is that you can go and help their businesses move forward and how you can partner with them, that will really give you that framework for what you what you should be solving for. Glenn, that's super helpful. I, I think that that element of self-awareness, I think, is one that often gets forgotten in many uh, transformations. Um, it's very, very difficult to uh, get to somewhere that you want to go if you haven't um, <laughs> done any of the prep work or, you know, it, you can't just walk up to a, uh, a weightlifting bench and bench 300 pounds if you've done none of the training, right? And, uh, right. you know, if you're, if you're thinking about doing back office transformation, getting to the, the shiny world of AI and ML is is like trying to lift a 300 pound bench if you've done none of the training if you've got nothing in place and so doing that kind of you know simple uh work well not simple it's actually complex this is the other thing i want to stop and say back office transformation is really hard it takes a long time it's not easy um it's it's hard to prioritize because you're trying to move the business forward all the time and, uh, you know, it's that akin uh, analogy of you, you're trying to um, build the plane while it's falling off the cliff, right? Yeah, no, that's exactly. And, you know, I'm a, I, I like to talk about a, a roadmap and understanding where you are. Uh, you know, if you say, if you're, you know, if you're in San Francisco and you say, hey, you know what, let's go on a road trip and you start driving somewhere, where are you going? You could be going north, you can go south, go east, probably don't want to go west, you're going to drive into the ocean. But you don't know. And then if you're driving for an hour and you say, hey, now we want to be going to Los Angeles, but you've been spending the last hour driving north, you got to turn around and drive another hour just to get back to where you started from. So that's where it's that self-awareness and understanding where are you and where are you trying to go to make sure you start moving in the right direction. Yeah, thanks, Glenn. Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think Glenn, you know, talked about it. Uh, to me, it's it's always starting value proposition, right? And um, I think the value proposition of what you want your accounting, finance, FP&A to bring to the organization, that is the first place to start, right? And like I said, to me, there's four different value propositions that accounting, finance, FP&A brings to an organization. The first one, which is typically low on uh, business efficiency and low on business insights, are scorekeepers, right? Those are your 
hey, we're keeping score. The other piece of it is, you know, they're high on business uh, processes, but low on business insights. That's a constrained advisor, right? Like they want to advise, but, uh, you know, they're constrained by the processes that they have. The other one is, you know, they're high on business insights, but they have very few uh, efficiencies in terms of processes. Those are uh, limited advisors, right? Like they can give you as much information as they can, but their processes are not efficient. The highest place you want to be is valued advisors, what I call in the business, high on business efficiency, high on business insights, right? So to me, that is the value proposition. You have to know what you want to bring to the organization. And that value proposition is different for each organization, right? Like if you want to be a very technology savvy FPNA group that is adopting RPA, predictive analytics, machine learning, AI, prescriptive analytics, right? Your value proposition is going to change. Your processes are going to change. Your, your people composition and skill sets are going to change. So to me, the very, very, very first block is always setting that value prop that you want to have. And then once you come up with that, like for me, when I was at Amarsis, when I first started at Amarsis, I wanted our value proposition to be accounting, finance, and FP&A are looked at as, as high performers and partnerships, high performers and high partnership inside the organization. That is what I wanted to bring our team to the organization. So then outside of that, I leveled, you know, I, I, I had skill sets that we needed as part of that team, right? We had technologies that we leveraged to increase automation on some of our key processes so we don't have people involved with it, right? We developed deeper partnerships and we made it part of our uh, quarterly uh, initiatives to go build deeper partnerships inside the organization. But all of that uh, transformation in terms of the value prop was, was given at that value prop, right? And the question was, what does it mean to be a high performance and partnership accounting and finance team at Marsis? That was the question, right? And then everything that I just mentioned was along that question. So I think every leader needs to ask themselves and ask their team and ask their executives, ask their business partners, what is that value prop? And then that's how you cascade everything around it. Um, a lot of the what could go wrong. So let's, let's talk about the what could go wrong in those situations. Too many times people look at the technology, the, the AI, the machine learning, the prescriptive, the predictive, the RPA, they look at these technologies and they don't even have the value proposition, right? They just want the shiny new car that it's a glint that they can drive to San Francisco or LA with, but they have no idea, you know, they're using 20% of the capabilities of this car. They have nowhere they're going, but they just want the shiny new car, right? So always, uh, you know, it, it, it's an evolution of the process, right? And I mentioned this in uh, a future uh, last episodes we had is, Stop throwing people to solve problems like that. Leverage technology. And the goal of what technology around back office transformation should be is simple. You want to incorporate your people at the right time of that transformation, right? And that's where technology can help you automate and, and, and be more efficient in your processes. But you got to have that North Star where you're going. So that'd be my, that'd be my insight to add on what Glenn adds. Yeah, one of the things that uh, that that's that's awesome, Chris. When when you talk about um, the the value propositions, uh, one of the ways that the Federal Reserve Bank actually classifies workers is in a classic two by two model, right? One of those uh, beautiful matrices that uh, management consultants love, and I'm sure they got it from a management consultancy somewhere. Um, but it's really it's a really helpful way of thinking about the types of work that we do in in, in finance and accounting. 
Um, the, the first category, which is on the low bottom left, is the routine and manual work. Mm-hmm. And what, how you want to think about that is that's the stuff that we really want to automate and or offshore or outsource because it's stuff that's heavily repetitive. Um, it, it can be automatable because it's routine. Um, on the bottom right, you start to see um, non-routine and manual work. Well, because it's not routine, you can't really automate it all the time. So that's where you want to develop your future leaders. You want that work to be assigned to your more junior staff um, because it is heavily manual. You don't want your really high-valued employees doing all of that work. On the on the top left is the routine and, and cognitive work. Again, because it's routine, you want to automate as much as possible. That's where like the, the future of AI and ML is going because of, it, it can answer some of those questions for you. But you also want to cost contain some of that where it starts to get on the edges of being cognitive and non-routine. The cognitive and non-routine stuff is the stuff that um, you need your high-valued employees to do all that critical thinking and spend all that time on on the analysis and then ultimately the synthesis to get that information out to the business partners. And that's where you will need to have the most amount of time um, assigned to your team, if they're spending 80% of their day doing the routine and manual stuff, then how are they going to get to all that high value, non-routine and cognitive work that actually needs their deep thinking? Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, Ryan, for sure. And that, and that's where you want to have technology. And that's, and that's the transformation ground, right? Like that's, I love that analogy, how you looked at it. And we all love matrices because it's easy to follow. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's the, that's the best approach to take for sure, without a doubt. And and you talked, Chris, about, um, let's talk about where it can fail. Got any failure stories for us? Plenty of them, (laughs) plenty of them. Uh, Yeah. So like when it came down to, you know, another organ, another tech company I was a part of high growth, entrepreneurial, really, really fast paced. Uh, you know, one of the things that we did was that quintessential, we, we looked at technology first, right? Like we wanted to have all of our functional areas having the best in class technology, right? So sales had Salesforce, you know, uh, marketing had HubSpot and Marketo. Uh, our implementation group had, uh, you know, a project management tool. We wanted, we said, you know, we're a technology company. We're providing great technology to people. We want all of our people to be working with the greatest technologies, right? But again, we didn't have, okay, we got these technologies. How's he going to connect the dots to the different value propositions inside of sales, marketing, operations, client success, right? So by us having the best in class technologies, right, and not really looking at how we can refine our 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 business processes to meet those technologies, we, we, we had everybody running in so many different directions, right? We had, we never, we didn't have one version of the truth, right? We had what, you know, board reporting is still a pain point to think about. It used to take us days to do that stuff because we had to aggregate all this data. And again, what you just talked about, right? Most of the accounting finance FE&A team, and we are a pretty small team of only four of us, we're going through that data aggregation, that data mining Oh, these fields aren't updated. We need this updated to get this information. So we spent all this time, energy, and effort and high-value work just getting to the right number. So in Glenn's example, getting back to San Francisco, right? Like we spent all this time. And what we realized through this was, okay, look, we need to get, A, 
a strategy that we want to have as far as what technologies and tools mean to our people to guide to our strategy, right? So we connect functional areas to the value proposition of what they were bringing ultimately to the, the major KPIs that we were driving inside the business, right? And now that bridge for us was able to help bridge the gap between strategy, here's the technology, here's how it flows to one version of the truth, right? Which our value proposition is that is like we wanted to be business partners that advise the functional areas on the what are we doing now, what do we say we're going to do, and then what are we doing in the future. Those are the business questions we wanted to enable our teams and we wanted to partner with our functional areas to be able to make. So, again, I think it always comes down and this is normal in business, right? Like if you want to grow like say you set out and like, you know, Planful says Grant comes on and says, we want to grow 80% next year. And everybody's like, okay, we want to grow 80%. How are we going to do that? Right? How are we going to marshal everybody together? Do we have the right resources? Do we have this? Do we have that? And I think in any of those situations, man, from a, what could go wrong and mistakes is not, is not having the strategy, not having the value problem, not having the vision lead the different area. And again, I don't, take vision that the executive or a manager or a CEO or CFO should be leading that, right? A lot of times that vision comes from the middle managers or those those people that are like, hey, you know, I think Planful can help take our scenario modeling from here to there, right? And how do you bridge that gap? So that's to me some of the failures and what could go wrong in, in terms of experiences I've had around back office transformation. I'm curious to get Glenn's thoughts. Glenn, what are some of the failures and uh uh, situations that you've seen there, some what could go wrong for people to think about. Yeah, Chris, I think you you hit on a big one, and I, it, it is the failure to create a strategy, and not just a strategy for your next step, but for your next ten steps. And then I would say the biggest thing is is to make sure that everybody's on the same page. I've been through this in multiple companies where the finance team is all on the same page, and they say, "Okay, we are going to go from this." support group that provides monthly variance reports to to that thought partner stage but then the executives at the other the businesses that you want to be thought partners with they're not there with you so you start going down a path but you're not bringing everybody with you and you know one of the failures that i've personally had early on in my career was i was asked to come up with a solution for uh basically is to come up with the idea of how to analyze an IT organization and look at the individual cost of each application the company had and what businesses were doing, were, were using those systems. I went out, I, I talked to a bunch of people, I put my model together and I failed miserably because what I, what I didn't realize is I had to be, bring those people in the IT group along with me. I couldn't just take a solution that was my idea and shove it down their throat. I had to go over and recognize that these were going to be critical partners with me and they had to go on the journey with me. And I think the biggest failure that that happens is too often we try and do things in a silo when we need to be made, when we need to have that broader teamwork across the organization to make sure we're all working together and moving in the same direction. Excellent. I mean, Glenn, that you're, you're right. And it's an analogy, right? If you want to move fast, move by yourself. If you want to move further, move together classic example man for sure yeah exactly and i think the the really interesting part comes from the fact chris we've talked about this on on previous uh weeks is um 
That's stuff you just don't learn at business school. How to how to go and do that um, lead a cross functional initiative. How to go and build trust. How to uh, how to set yourself up for success and, and uh, you know create that uh, what do you call it uh, the valued advisorship is is really really important when we think about how do we actually take what we know our our, our skills and talents in in finance and accounting. We haven't got those skills and talents often yet when we're then asked to lead a very big cross-functional back office project and and that whole project management skill set. You need to learn that. You need to set yourself up for success. So don't just run into this stuff blindly. You know, Go and do some of that uh, critical thinking of understand how am I going to be successful? How am I going to work with the team? What are the failure points? Um, because it's, it's, it's critical uh, to the success of any of that, st- any of those initiatives. Definitely, hundred percent. And to me, it, to me, Rowan, to like build upon that, and I want to get Glenn's thought on this as well. I think too many people in FPNA specifically focus on FPNA from the planning and analysis aspect of it, right? Like when you think of planning and analysis, first thing you think of probably anybody in FPNA think about Excel or modeling, right? So. With that, you want to go and look at tools. You, you automatically just default to planning and analysis. I want a tool to be able to do that. When what we're talking about right now, which is a major catalyst of back office transformation, is that next stage, right? Is financial partner and advising. That is the piece of it. And that's where, you know, the soft skills, I call them power skills now, right? Like the art of storytelling, business partnership. Uh, conflict management, right? Because like you're going to have business partners that you know don't like accounting and finance, right? How do you deal with conflict? How do you deal with a leader that is never open to your ideas and shoots everything down, right? That is the piece of it. And when you're going about looking at your back office transformation, that is the lens to look at it from. Not from the financial planning and analysis aspect of it, but from the financial partner and advising aspect of financial transformation. Because to your matrix that you mentioned earlier, that top line of cognitive, the top right right there, that's partnership and advising, right? Planning and analysis, let's be honest, is like the routine manual stuff, right? That's going to be automated. So that is the critical shift for people to think about. And uh, too many times, and, you, uh, you know, I've had the experience of working with a lot of, you know, Fortune 500 companies from a consulting perspective. And they always go to that same spot. They always want, they say they want the AI, the machine learning, the prescriptive and prescriptive analytics, but they're just like, I don't even know how we get there. Right. And that's, that's a destination, but you got to start with those first pieces. So, you know, I'm curious to get Glenn's thoughts on that as well. Yeah, no, Chris, you, you, you hit it on the head. Uh, I think, you know, I like to, to point to, it, it all starts with trust you have to gain the trust of the people that you want to be working with. And to be that trusted advisor, that thought partner, you they, the, the people on the other side of the table from you have to trust you. And that doesn't mean too often, you know, finance people go out and say, hey, this is what I need from you, business. I need you to explain this variance to me. I need you to help me put this forecast together, whatever. You don't really go out too often and say, hey, business, what can I do for you? Can you teach me more about what you do and what your pain points are? And let me see how I can help you run your business. And that's really the starting point. It is a paradigm shift. It's a, you know, a, a completely different approach that 
finance isn't just about the numbers because who really cares about a spreadsheet that says, here's your budget and variance in the analysis? I mean, don't get me wrong. It's important if you got to understand it. But the impact to the business is what decisions are you making off that data? What decisions are coming down the road that you need to be aware of? What opportunities are there for you to take advantage of? What risks are out there that need to be mitigated? That's the stuff that the business leader is really trying to figure out. And, and it's where can finance come together with the business to give that additional perspective that the business leader is probably not seeing. That partnership, that advisory role that Chris was talking about is so critical, but it begins with trust. And no school, you know, Rowan, to your point, no school, business school teaches you how to create trust with somebody else. It, it is something that my recommendation for anybody in any organization at any level is to make sure when you are thinking about something, have somebody in the business that you can go to for advice, for guidance, do a little brainstorming, whiteboarding, whatever it happens to be, to make sure you are not just moving forward with what you need, but you're moving forward with what everybody needs. Because if you do that, I think you're going to be much more successful. But it is not something that you just pick up a book and see that uh, or, or take a class. It's, a lot of times you have to fail in order to recognize how you need to succeed. And for that, that's where you hope that you have a good mentor or coach within the company. 100% Glenn. I think that the thing that you talked about there that really resonated with me, and I know you've got a lot of experience in, in this area, is that connection between the plan and the strategy, right? Um, yeah. The fact that the numbers are help. Uh, you know, the plan is there to help guide you, to help give you guardrails and, and, you know, there's a beauty in the planning process itself, but it's not the end result. It's an input into the strategy as to what are we going to do differently and how are we going to do it? And, and that relationship is, is so critical to, um, to then leverage and use with the business because you can help the business drive and inform their strategy the more that you understand uh chris has talked about this the more that you're embedded in their in their organization the more informed you are in the planning and they're the more helpful you are in their strategy yeah exactly and the the other thing to keep in mind is the strategy is not a one-time exercise it's not oh hey you know what we got our five-year strategy okay we're done for five years right having to be evolved and, and tweaked because market conditions change. Things happen at the company, whatever, you know, people come and go, you have to constantly be adapting. And too often people look at where you are trying to go and the strategic planning as a task. Oh, did it? Check. Done. Okay, I'm moving on to my next thing. It, and business leaders cannot think that way. Business leaders usually don't think that way. But oftentimes, Finance people are look at it as a task rather than an ongoing journey. And that's the thing is that you have to re recognize it's not a one-time action. It is something that you have to continuously visit. And I think one of the things that I recommend for all the FP&A teams that I've ever managed, I have mandated that they have to have a monthly mi meeting, minimum monthly, if not you know more often, with their business leaders 
to talk not just about what finance needs, but what their needs are and how we could connect and how we can learn, because that's the only way you get to that trust, that thought partner, that trusted advisor, because that's where you're really going to make the difference and influence the decisions. Totally. Totally. And, and that's where to come back to our, our kind of theme for today, which is the, the whole uh, challenge of back office transformation in some ways, there are many barriers to getting there because you're um, you're really focused on servicing the business, becoming that business partner, and again, things they don't teach you in in finance school or business school is all of the data integration and the data flow and how everything needs to map back in and and how all of that should you know the accounting should inform the the planning and then the planning should inform the strategy. That's what they teach you, but they don't teach you how to close all of those data loops from a quota planning model into then a, uh, a sales compensation strategy that then should tie back into, okay, well, if that's how we're planning our quota and setting those strategies, oh, marketing are doing something completely different. Well, if I'm the go-to-market business partner in finance, I better know that. I better see those connections and see that the numbers will never tie out because maybe we've set a, a quota goal that marketing just can't produce that amount of pipeline. Um, and we've never actually cross-tested any of that. They're the things that people don't teach you in business school. But to get to that level, to get to that next stage in, in understanding that, you've got to learn the data flow of your business and that's understanding it just from a decision-making process before you then even start looking at the structural data flow itself. Oh, Rowan, you, you talked about a critical point. And the critical point is you have to, as FPNA, you have to intimately know the life cycle of a customer at your business, right? So like one of the situations at Amarsis that we came across was, I remember sitting with our CEO, a tremendous leader, and he had on his screen, he had like eight different Excel places open, right? And he's like, overall, he's like, I got to look at these eight sheets to connect the dots. And I said, man, that's really hard for you to drive the car, right? And what we just, what in, in summary, what I was able to work with our entire leadership group on was the life journey of a customer coming on board, right? Like they start off as a lead, a lead turns into opportunity, a opportunity goes to a close one, it goes to a close one, it goes to implementation and fulfillment. We look at NPS of implementation and fulfillment, how the projects get closed. They get closed. They're happy customers. They pay us. We look at revenue retention to see they paid us money for revenue. How much have we retained them to go from a dollar to one hundred and ten dollars? Right. And that piece mapping it out and showing all the functional leaders. Hey, marketing, you're at the top of the funnel. You're the one that's creating everything to drive leads. Leads go into the sales pipeline. Sales. This is what you're responsible for. Right. Sales hands it off to client success to implement the projects to, to fulfill what they've sold, right? We want to have a great experience and we want to get those projects completed at a closed timeline. Once it's outside of that, now it's over to the finance and post-customer support, right? You're managing tickets, people are paying you. And as you're able to walk a customer through whatever industry that you're in and, and you walk your organization through what that customer journey looks like, that's where you build that intimacy. That's where you build to say, oh, man, solution consultant or solution architect or SDR or whatever role you have. Here's where you connect the dot. Here's where you fit into the picture. 
here's where you fit into the strategies being driven. That piece of it right there for FPNA is a game changer, right? Now you've created uh, pockets in the organization where everybody's connecting to the North Star. It's like it's like the spoke in the wheel, right? You've created to where everybody's directionally going to that spoke in the wheel, right? And and don't even get on it to where now you have technology to be able to track, measure, perform tools like Planful to be able to cascade that out to everybody, model those assumptions. And to Glenn's point, to be more agile versus static in terms of how you're looking at that. That is that is fundamental and that's critical for for FPNA teams for sure. Chris, I, I love the, the hub and spoke model um, because it, it really uh, illustrates how um, important it is to have everything in that one place, but it doesn't have to be the, you know, the master data source, right? We need to pull things in from other places. We need that, we need that tire wrapped around the, the hub, right, to keep everything moving. We, we need um, information going in and out of the model all the time, models. Um, and, and really the, the criticality there is, is actually how fast you can get the data from the hub out to the rim and, and the frequency of which you can do that. And not every part of the business needs it to be super frequent. Like, you know, in a really fast moving, high velocity sales organization, sure, you want it maybe daily or hourly, especially if you're doing like high volumes of transactions, some sort of D2C business. But uh, in some of the more, you know, uh, slower moving businesses, weekly might be okay. But the, the faster you can get those connections uh, firing, the more informed the organization is and the faster you can continuously pivot and adjust and course correct the strategy based on something that Glenn said earlier, which is the market conditions are always changing. So when the market conditions are always changing, it's and my, are they changing faster than ever right now? I what? mean, <laughs> the, market, the market conditions are changing. What are you talking about? The market's changing right now. What? what? Uh, the, the stock market hasn't caught up yet. Um, but, um, <laughs> allegedly things are crazy out there. Um, and, and, and this is even happening pre COVID, right? Like you think pre pre pandemic, the, the conditions were changing regardless. You had uh, all of the e-commerce and, and, you know, business disruption was happening faster than ever. Global supply chain disruption. Uh, prior to the pandemic, we had a lot of impact with, with tariffs uh, on, on various um, uh, different economies and uh, really, really critical to businesses to adapt to that really rapidly throw in the pandemic in March and, and wow, that like was an accelerant for a lot of things. What has happened though, even before that was just that criticality of speed. Um, as an organization, the faster you can make those decision cycles, and, and we've talked about it before, Chris, like the things that will remain post pandemic is the speed of decision cycles, is the frequency of information. Um, as executives on executive teams, they now expect that information flow to stay the same. And if you're not starting a back office transformation now to um, make sure that that happens, what are you doing and why? Right. Why are you planning or not planning to increase that? Because you're going to get left behind 
if you cannot move at the pace that the world is moving, you will be left behind. And and so for all those listening, think about how far, where are the gaps in your decision-making? Where are the gap? Where's the slowness in your organization? And how can you think about partnering, building trust to go and fix that with your business partners, wherever that may be? And I'd, I'd love Glenn's take on this. Yeah, no, Ron, I, I agree with everything you said, but I'm going to add one more. And it, this really comes to that actual, the, the back office transformation, which is connecting the data and the dots together because you have to move quickly. But if your data doesn't connect from your market conditions to your clients or to your sales pipeline, to your revenues, to the, you know, the finance expenses, commissions, personnel, uh, products, all of that stuff, if it is not there are connections through that, through every organization, whether you're Procter and Gamble or you're Amazon, it doesn't matter. You have those connections that exist. And if you can't connect them, the transformation you're going to go through will have holes and then it becomes less valuable. So I do think I, I completely agree with everything you said, but I also think that it is not just the role of FPNA because FPNA does sit in a way in that central hub that can see data from all these different angles to help bring that together. But it's in that strategy, that design phase to say, hey, wait a second, we gotta make sure that we're connecting all these dots if we really wanna drive that value. Glenn, you raise an interesting point and we haven't really talked about it much today, which is what role does IT play in all of this? Um, when you think about the way that um, what's happened over the last decade, um, the reliance in faster moving businesses on IT has dropped dramatically. Um, and, you know, with SaaS businesses, business uh, units themselves have been able to go and create and adopt technology in ways that we've never seen. And that's created this um, ability for businesses to do uh, business without a heavy reliance on an internal IT function, right? But it's also created a big gap in that we, some business folks, finance folks, didn't learn how to do big IT projects. And, and so what we're now left with is a business that knows how to move fast, um, knows how to implement their own technology, but there's no one sitting there surveying the organization to understand the data flows from an IT and infrastructure perspective. And we're trying to mash all these, these data flows together. And to your point, it's, it's crucial. It's crucial that the data flows and is connected and is, um, and is available to those who need it. But many organizations just ha have, um, for whatever reason, and most of it's probably cost, have not built strong IT functions to actually support all that because we've relied on the fact that the business can go and do it and SaaS providers are, are awesome, um, fact. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so I'd love to get, you know, Chris, you work in a SaaS organization, so you're going to agree with me that SaaS providers are awesome. But we're also somewhat guilty of the fact that we come in and say, you don't need IT, IT, don't, don't worry about IT. And, and we've created this 
structure in a lot of organizations, especially more modern ones, where they don't have that IT function to actually come in and support and survey. And a lot of the folks in the business have not learned how to do that. I'd love your guys' take on that perspective. Yeah, if I could, I'll start real quick. But I'll tell you, IT is one of the most important partners that I have in FPNA. And it's not because I need to make sure that, you know, my Windows password is constantly updated or whatever. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> IT has a skill set that my team and I don't have. I cannot, you know, I, I cannot manage a data warehouse. That is, I have an, I have a conceptual idea of what it should do, how it should work, how the data should be connected, how I should be able to get data out of a data warehouse. But I don't know how to make sure I manage the ETL flows and, and to make sure that the data is tying out in the right way. And so a lot of times companies think of IT as, well, we have a bunch of and these two guys manage the servers. And now as things move into, move into the cloud, oh, we don't really need IT as much. IT adds a lot more value than that. They put on the security, they make sure that things are, are flowing in the right way, and they do all the things behind the scenes so that people in finance don't have to try and figure that out. Because it's kind of like saying, hey, you know what? Um, my, my toilet's back up, backed up. I'm gonna go call my accountant because he's the service provider to me. It, it's wrong skill set, <laughs> right? So. You need to go over and make sure that you have the right people with the right skill set. And I can tell you at every company I've been at, I've had people in IT who directly support FPNA and FPNA systems, and they are critical to my success. And they are to me, I always looked at them as they are part of my FPNA team. I invite them into my team meetings, out to my team lunches, the whole thing, because I can't do my job if they're not doing theirs. And so the value that IT really brings is to add a completely different dimension of skill set. To an, to an FP&A or finance organization to help solve problems that finance really just can't solve. Uh, that's so powerful, Glenn. Um, it, it's something that as a, you know, I've worked in more modern SaaS companies um, and we've never really built strong IT teams. And, and I think even, even though the, the success of those organizations has been fantastic, I think it's been one of it's an inhibitor in some actually even faster growth. Um, Chris, I'd love to get your take on it. You've been in SaaS most of your career, like me. Is that what you've seen too? Yeah, man. I think uh, IT has opened up and evolved into more data scientists, right? So, like when you think of a traditional IT role ten years ago, right, it was the person that came in that checked your laptop, un you know, install software solutions and all that, right? Like you look at data scientists now, like data scientists are the people that I love to partner with. Right. But it gets back to like the goal. Right. What is the goal of me partnering with the IT or data scientist element? And it's it's to your point that you mentioned earlier, speed decision cycles. Right. Decision cycles are five key pillars. Processes drive processes, drive data. Data is then turned to information information is shared through knowledge to ultimately make a business decision, right? Where you want IT and data scientists partnering with you to provide that best in class skills, passions and talents is process the information, right? That's sitting down with them and saying, hey, I wanna be able to connect our Salesforce, our Marketo data to feed into our GL model because this is the kind of knowledge I wanna share with the business, right? 
And that technical acumen, another skill set that every FPNA professional should have is like you should be technology curious. Like I'm the kind of person I go out there and I just love learning new technologies. Right. I learn. I love it. Now, to Glenn's point, I don't know exactly how to, you know, do a uh, set up a data warehouse or or things like that. But I can speak the lingo. Right. I can I can understand and I can bridge that gap to say, hey, here's how you're going to work with me. Here's the knowledge we ultimately want to provide to the business so we make faster, more accurate, and timely business decisions, right? It's, it, it is all about that connection, right? And it's all about, to what Glenn talked about earlier, is, you know, I think in that situation, developing the trust with your IT groups. But yeah, I've seen it at all the SaaS businesses I've been a part of, right? Is like, you see, like, all these software players that they're plug and play, like you can plug this technology in there and plug this other technology. And to me, like technology stacks and organizations are starting to not just be as simple as H2O, right? Two molecules of hydrogen and oxygen. It's like you're coming up with hydrogen and oxygen and, and, and carbon and all these different things. And you're creating new chemical uh, uh, technology stacks that are super efficient, right? And that's what SAS brings to the table. But you also need to have that IT, that infrastructure, that compliance, right? GDPR is huge. Privacy is huge for customers right now, specifically in SaaS. And that's a responsibility for accounting, finance, and FP&A is how do you manage the risk of a GDPR claim or California privacy laws, right? Like you, that, that privacy is part of the conversation. But again, to Glenn's point, you bring them along through the process, you leverage their skills, passions, and talents, but you also connect them to the bigger business decision and what you're trying to approve with it. That's how I've always seen it successful. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and the one thing that companies have to get away from is working in silos. And yes. that if you are going over and saying, we're finance, we're going to work with all the finance people, and you don't bring in your IT partner, you don't bring in your HR partner around uh, compensation and headcount and those types of things, in your business partner with their metrics and their business strategies you are completely missing the boat. Too many companies are focused on looking at, at having each different division or department focus on their objectives. What they need to be doing is saying, what are the objectives that go across the entire organization and how are we as a team going to work together to solve them? Thanks. I couldn't agree with uh, everything you guys have said uh, more. Uh, I, 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 I don't know the uh, the solution to making that happen though. When uh, some of us um, in in kind of software executives see IT as a cost center, right? Um, and like many organisations, you know, we we talk about um, seeing finance as a cost center um, and seeing IT as a cost center, and, and so we need to change the conversation about how. Um, the technology uh, value stack ultimately and how having that integrated and efficient and optimized drives better outcomes for the business that aren't siloed, right? And, and so, you know, the, the CFOs and the CIOs are at the heart of digital transformation. Um, and, and it's also really imperative that the CFO buys into that digital transformation that maybe a CIO or a CTO is trying to lead inside of an organization. 
because the, the challenge with not being a part of that journey is that you're limiting the business because you won't have everything that we've just talked about for the last 15 minutes, right? You won't be able to, to get to those, that, that end state, that nirvana state that we all want to get to uh, if, if you haven't got that buy-in from the top. And, and so to the CFOs out there that are, you know, thinking as uh, back office transformation or even digital transformation is something that the, the, is the CIO's problem, um, you're in the wrong spot. You, you, you absolutely need to be part of that transformation because, uh, A, you're either negligent uh, to, towards your company and, and leaving your company behind, or you're, you're unfortunately just, you've got a massive blind spot and, and you need to fix it, uh, would be my, my perspective. <laughs> yeah, Ron, I, I would look at it as very, very simple solution. And it starts with one word, leadership. That is it. <laughs> you've got to have that vision that you have to be able to bring people together and have that shared vision. Uh, when I was working at Charles Schwab, uh, one of the, the well, the, the CEO of Charles Schwab, Walt Bettinger, had a line, and I love it about leadership. Leadership isn't about who reports to you and who you can tell what to do. It's about getting people to follow you when they don't have to. And wow. that, I, I absolutely love that. And that's the idea is can you be a finance leader? And by the way, this isn't, you don't have to be a CFO to be a finance leader. You could be anyone, any level in the company and bring people together from IT, from HR, from finance, from you know marketing, sales, operations, wherever it happens to be, and say, look, what if we all work together and we went in this direction? What can we be doing? Leadership. And when you could go over and change companies' cultures, to be doing that, not it doesn't always have to be top down. It could be bottoms up to go and make those changes. But that type of leadership is really how you get to all those areas that we've been talking about, that Chris has been calling out. Uh, you know where we want to be. That's how you do it. Is you got to just recognize that you are part of a team. And it's not about one tool, but everybody working together. Nice. That's a really great insights, Glenn. Yeah, Glenn. Thank you so much. I, you know, leadership is uh, is crucial. I think it's you know a lot of actually what we've talked about um, when we talk about things that you don't learn in business school, and one of those is leadership. The last time I checked, there was no leadership course uh, that I got to do. I know many folks go and do an MBA um, to 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 learn that type of of thing as well, and it's hugely valuable when you get into an organization to, to have, um, you know, the, those leadership skills uh, to, together or even as an individual, you know, becoming a self-leader. So, gents, it's, it's been, you know, FP&A Fridays. Um, it's been a really amazing conversation today. Uh, I really look forward to having uh, you back on, uh, Chris, next week. Uh, although it is Good Friday, so we may, uh, may want to take a break for the folks there that are... Uh, um, thinking and celebrating Good Friday. And, um, and, and Glenn, I hope to see you uh, back on FP&A Fridays uh, soon again. We'd love to have you on. It was a really amazing conversation. And, uh, and thanks to the listeners out there. Uh, we'll be back uh, on FP&A Fridays. And uh, if you've got any topics for us, please send them in. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, everybody.
Hey, Roman, and this is a whole month. This is like episode four. We did it for a month. This is a milestone, man. And we've done it for a month, the whole month of March. So uh, April series coming soon. Yes. All right. Awesome. Thanks, thanks Chris. Thanks, Glenn. And uh, thanks, listeners. Really, really love having you on. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for stopping by.